this will be the first official McSee Wanders podcast. I have my art and I have my stickers. Make sure that I get uh, you, my unnamed guest yet, yeah. stickers when, when you leave. Okay. But uh, we have the uh, world traveler Colby Faulkner back with us. Hello. As, uh, as he, uh, this is his last day of freedom before uh, uh, the, uh, sp- uh, the, the fall semester starts yeah. at the University of Louisville. Essentially. So I uh, thought we'd get him back and see... Uh, what the heck he did all summer long. I know that uh, the last time we chatted, and of course we chatted throughout the, the summer as well, but uh, you were uh, planning to be all over the place. Um, things that uh, you were supposed to do earlier but got canceled. Uh, the concert that got canceled. Oh, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and then... Uh, and then knocking that off, and then uh, traveling overseas again. Yeah. So uh, I don't know where we start. Let's. Uh, so so the spring semester let out. What'd you do when you got out of out of uh, the spring semester? So I pretty much worked a bit. Found a spot in Louisville to live with a couple of buddies of mine. Rented out a house. We got a lease going. So um, sort of planted my feet there for a little bit, and then. May went by, and my flight to Italy was scheduled. But before that, towards the end of May, we were planning to go to New York City because of a Billy Joel concert that had been postponed uh, that my mom had surprised us with for Christmas as a, as a gift. So, And why had it been postponed originally? I think... He had some vocal issue or some virus, okay. and his doctor was like, hey, don't sing or you're going to have some serious problems or you're going to do some serious damage to your voice. So the concert was postponed from the late, the latter half of December to the 2nd of June or 3rd of June. I can't remember, but the plan was... We were just going to take a road trip and then drive up to the Big Apple and then just fly to Italy from there. But what had happened was we stopped in Philly along the way and we were doing, you can take a bus tour around Philly, right? So they, they have these these stops. You can go from place to place and, of course, see everything and do the touristy stuff. So we were driving around where the Rocky statue was mm-hmm. and mom was checking the date of when the, the concert was because she was making sure the tickets were right and yada yada. And so she was like, Oh, the concert is tonight. And we were all like, what? And so we're on this touristy bus. And, and just so you know, that seems normal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's totally typical for us to do something like that. And, um, we were driving around, got the news, and we just immediately started planning while we were on the bus. Okay, what do we do? How do we get there? What's the quickest way to get there? I, so, so much stuff was so going you, on. you driven to Philly, right? Yeah, so we drove to Philly. Um, we had spent the better part of the day there just going around, and it takes two... Two and a half hours from Philly to New York, I think, roughly. 
roughly, if I remember correctly. So with no problems, with no problems, with the flow of traffic going pretty smooth and yada yada. Now, were you supposed to stay in a hotel in Philly that night? Yes, we were. So we had, had you already, already checked in. <laughs> uh, I think the reservation was made, and so we had to go back and cancel all that. But so we're still on the bus. We get a plan going. Finally, get back to the car, and then we head towards New York. And so we're like, do we want to drive into New York? Do we want to take a subway, take a train over? Um, uh, what what's that? The Hudson and mm-hmm. And get over there. What's the quickest way to do so? So we eventually stop in New Jersey and we take a train across because that was the fastest way to get there. And we get on and then we make our way across and it drops us off right at the garden, at Madison Square Garden. And we're there. And I was like, oh, so we don't have to do a whole lot of walking. We don't have to go to the subway or anything like that. And we're there, and we're checking in, and we get in, and it's about, I don't know, 30 more minutes. We got there with plenty of time to spare. We were rushing and worried about all the time, but it was fine. 30 minutes before a concert seems plenty of time to you. Okay, just trying to to get some bearings. (laughs) Yeah, but we get that straightened out, and then... He comes on and plays the show, and it was it was great. Uh, had a really good time. Emma wasn't really accustomed to the Billy Joel vibe or what he meant to the city. So on the way up there, I tried to introduce her to you know the stranger, Fifty Second Street, maybe a little bit of the Nylon Curtain, even though I don't think that's his best work. But there's a few few hits on that one that are popular amongst the crowd, but. It was it was good, and I think that she had a really good time. I had a blast singing almost every song word for word, but it, w- it was incredible. I loved it. It's just so nostalgic, I guess. Joel at the Garden, Joel at the Garden. Right, I mean, if you're going to see him, that's really the place to see yeah, him. Yeah, but it was, it was great. So is this his last tour, and then he's just doing I pop-up think so. stuff? I, I think so, Um from what I understand, he's stopping his garden residency at 150 shows, which with that, he will comfortably hold the record for longest residency uh, at a venue. Speaking 150 of which, shows, I, that's more wins than the New York Knicks have had in uh, decades. Uh, I'm, only, I'm, only slight, <laughs> I'm only slightly exaggerating. Uh, oh my gosh, but... I'm trying to think. I thought Elvis had it with his Las Vegas residency, and I don't know how long Adele's going to be in Las Vegas, so that'll be pretty interesting to see how that plays out. But yeah, man, it was. She's had some starts and stops, so so like like hers didn't kick off well. Oh, okay. It was delayed uh, a while and then got restarted. So uh, yeah, It'll be interesting to see for sure. And then we do the concert, and so we get there a day early than what we had planned, so we pretty much have this day wide open in the city. Emma and I split up, I'm sorry, we split away from our parents, and or my parents rather, so mom and dad go to 
the 9-11 memorial because they really wanted to do that. And her and I go around just sort of taking the subway, finding little spots that we see. Um, We walked through Greenwich Village and saw the Washington Square Arch, which was really, really cool. There was a lot of stuff going on there. Very pretty architecture. Uh, We made our way from there to Central Park, and that place was bumping. Like, there was a lot of activity. It's, it's huge, and there's always... It, just a sea of people. Yeah. It was crazy. There were these two guys throwing, not like a regular Frisbee, but a, a ring. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And they were throwing it, I want to say, every bit of halfway across this this vast area of the park. And just to each other every single time. And it was just crazy. Because they have all these people everywhere, and they're not running into into people, and they don't have to worry about throwing the the frisbee into people because they're just so good at it. I was just in awe of them for probably ten minutes. I just stood there and watched them. There were a bunch of birthday parties going on. Um, of course, when you're in Central Park, all the buildings are around you, so you get to sort of admire the architecture that way. It was pretty cool. Um, What else did we do? We left Central Park, and then I think we found dinner for that night, which was a noodle place that was a couple blocks away. That was really good. Authentic ramen. I liked it. And then I want to say that was about it. And then we woke up the next day, packed our stuff, and then we went on our way. To so, so let me stop you there. Okay. You didn't go to any professional frisbee games. No, we didn't. You, I would have loved you know to go. That's gone. a thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, at U of L, they have a um, what is that called? Ultimate frisbee. Uh, yeah, team. it's ultimate frisbee team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. MKBHD. Okay. Uh, is. Uh, on a, a ultimate frisbee team, and and they has his team has has done well a number of years, and he plays up in the New York, New Jersey area. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, it's really fun to watch in high school for like a conditioning exercise. We wouldn't play with a frisbee; we'd just play football. It was just as fun. Yeah, everybody yeah. would run routes, go crazy. <laughs> so, so uh, what's next? Is this did, is this the flight to overseas? Yeah. So we left the hotel, and then we made our way to JFK, and then we waited there for I don't know, maybe an hour or so, hour and a half. We timed it pretty well. I mean, in regards to airports, but um. We waited there and then got on the flight and then flew over to Milan and started that. So when you when you fly into Milan, um, is there anything special you have to do with customs coming through, or do you just you Not just really. roll into the yeah, city? Yeah, you just go in and then they have these stations set up to where you just scan your passport. This camera scans your face. I assume it goes into a system, and then you make your way past that first little gate, and then you 
walk up to this booth with a guy in there that actually, I don't know, human verification, uh, checks your passport. And my, my passport still had the picture of me with my Afro. So he looked at it and then like his eyes got real big when he saw me. Cause I, of course I don't have it anymore. And he was like, Oh, and he, he was like, okay, you're good. And then I made my way through and met Emma and her dad and her uncle. And then Oh, so she was already there. Yeah, so she was there waiting for me. Or sorry, sorry, sorry. We walked in, and her dad and her uncle um, were there. Sorry, I was getting this time mixed up with last time. But but yeah, they flew. Sorry, they drew drove over. I think it's three and a half or four hours from Trento, from where where they live to Milan. So it's a little bit of a haul. And we got in the car and made our way back to her her place and went Do, from there. Does her family speak any English? Her family, not so much, but her friends, a good, a large portion of them actually speak like a, a decent amount of English to where we can communicate pretty easily. There were a couple people where they didn't really speak a lick, but we could like get the gist of what we were saying, just contextual. I think that's an interesting thing that I'd never thought about in high school was how easily you could communicate with somebody that that doesn't speak your language just with signs or maybe just basic words that sound similar. And it was just really interesting to be a part of that. Or from last year... Having gone again this year, I sort of picked up on stuff that I had forgotten or that I thought that I had forgotten. Like, oh, this is what they're talking about. Of course, I don't speak fluent Italian, but I can sort of understand like what they're talking about in a way. Have you taken any Italian classes? I have not because Louisville doesn't have Italian classes anymore. So, you you know there's this thing called the internet. Yeah. And there's these (laughs) things called apps. Yeah. And... And it would it's seem so, to me if you wanted to be a good boyfriend. Now, well, I've tried. I've tried a numerous amount of times, but it's so confusing because with Italian, there's so much conjugation, and their language is set up in four tenses, I think. Like, there's a past tense. There's two present tenses. Like, there's a perfect present and a regular present. I may be completely wrong, but I feel like I'm... In the ballpark. And then, of course, there's a future tense. But all of the the little tweaks or um, the, the addition of certain little sounds to every single word. And I was talking to Emma about this. Every word almost sort of has its own little exception or its own little rule. Sort of like English in a way. But the way that she was talking to me she thought that English was much easier to learn as compared to other languages that she's heard of. And I was like, really? Because... Does she speak anything other than Italian and English? Maybe a little bit of dialect. So I guess you could consider that a third language because some dialects in Italy are so different than what she's used to hearing and speaking. Sure. There was a show that she was watching on Netflix that was based in Naples, 
and they speak in such a way to where she had to watch it with subtitles on. And that was so interesting to me that they're in the same country, but yet they don't really understand what each other, what like what they're saying to each other. I, I would say there are some places in the U.S. that think us as Kentuckians uh, are hard Oh, to yeah, understand. for sure. Uh, did I send you the documentary with the Appalachian culture, the language no. uh, thing? I found it on YouTube. I'll have to send it to you. Okay. Uh, I think they focus more on Western North Carolina instead of Eastern Kentucky, but they go a little bit further south and a little bit to the north, I think, but mostly it's out of Western North Carolina. But they talk about how each little town or each little um, community, to a point, they have sort of their own dialect because they say words that are funny that no other town says. And it, of course, with the geography, they're isolated with the mountains. So, of right. course, they're not going to be doing a whole lot of traveling because it's not that easy. And it was just crazy to hear like what they call certain things. Uh, for example, in, like I would say, oh, that looks sort of crooked or lopsided. And there was this one segment where this guy was saying yeah we would call that side goggling and i was like oh wow <laughs> that is a word and it's sort of in a way that whenever a word just pops up or somebody thinks of it they sort of run away with it in that community sure. and it sort of grows and becomes something and it, it's just crazy it, it becomes, becomes their common language absolutely and it becomes sort of a dialect because from the little bits of the documentary where they were just talking casually instead of talking about how they talk and just having a normal conversation. There was a decent part of it where I was like, what are they saying? Like, I don't know these words. And I feel that Emma sort of has that same experience when she's over in Italy. Sure. And that was just really crazy to me. We um, took a day trip to Bologna, mm -hmm. which is a little bit more to the north, I think, a couple hours by train of uh, where she lives. And she was telling me that their, their first language is German. And so all the restaurants and a lot of the architecture is German-influenced. We sat down at a restaurant to eat lunch and she talks to the waiter and gets her order and gets my order and after he leaves she turns to me and she's like yeah he was kind of struggling and I was like what do you mean he was like here she was like yeah his Italian wasn't the greatest and I was like really so they have all that going on up there and I was like no way like German before Italian in Italy and that was just super cool to me uh, what else was it there was some other little little interesting bit where I was like huh I can't think of it but it was just it was crazy just to sort of see that and know that that exists I thought it was I thought it was super cool yeah sure for sure and uh yeah so what did you do while you were over there besides that um 
Not a whole lot. We stayed fairly local this year. Okay. We took a few day trips. Um, last year, we had gone to Verona. This year, we went to Verona again just on a day trip. Um, and when you say a day trip, did you drive a car? Did you take a train? Took a train. Okay. It's much easier to take a train over there. And, uh, and the trains go to all the places that you'd want to go to? Essentially, yeah. Okay. And if you can't make it directly to where you want to go by train, you can... Very easily, I don't know, get a bike, rent a bike, um, excuse me, um, rent a car, I guess. I don't I don't know. You can do a variety of things, but it's much easier to get around over there. But you haven't driven over there, and, and she doesn't. I have normally. not. Um, she got her international driver's license because it's much easier to do that over here. She did that while she was still over here, and... Um, she got that taken care of as opposed to getting a driver's license in Italy because the way that that's set up, it takes about a year for you to even get your license to start driving, like a like a permit, what we would call a permit. Mm-hmm. Um, their system just works a, much differently in the sense that they sort of prioritize different things for the youth population or the youthful population as opposed to, I don't know what we would over here. Um, I don't know. Just is, is the age similar or is it older or younger over there that you can get your license? Pretty much. You can do everything at 18. Okay. You can drink, you can vote, you can drive, you can, um, I'm trying to think what else, uh, buy a house. Um, I don't know, different things that we would have to wait, you know, until we hit 16, 18, 21, 25. Uh, they just pretty much say, here you go at 18. Yeah, you you can't traditionally rent a car here until you're 25. Yeah. And I didn't know that until uh, <laughs> when <laughs> I flew back from Italy to to JFK a bunch of flights have been canceled because of the quote-unquote weather. If you stood there in line for hours like I did, you know it's not because of the weather. They probably had some stuff behind the scenes that was going on. So all these flights were canceled, and we're waiting around. I get up to the front of this long line, this super long line, to try to talk to somebody to ask them if there were any available flights. And there were none and so I call mom. I'm like, hey, I'm pretty much stranded here. I, I, there's no available flights for a couple, two or three days. And she was like, okay, I'll just drive up and get you. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I'll be waiting here. So I waited in the airport for, I don't know, however long it takes, 11, 12 hours. And she was on a mission to get her kid and just straight up went for it, no sleep, off the cuff, and then picked me up, and then we literally turned around and just went right back home. So she drove 24 hours straight? Essentially, yeah. She took a little nap uh, because she had me and another one of her friends that just decided to go with her just you know, to be safe, I guess. And um, yeah, we took shifts pretty much driving. Mom's a warrior. She only slept like 
two or three hours in the car, and then she was good. And I was like, oh, okay. So, you know, we just went from there and uh, made it back home, and then that was that. Do we miss anything in Italy when we transitioned there? Is there any, anything that went on in Italy? So I was going to ask about Italy. Do they have ride-sharing services like Lyft and Uber? I think so. In your bigger cities, Rome, Venice, uh, Verona maybe. So Though Verona's a little bit smaller. Um, I don't know. I would, I would say you, you get a lot of that in your bigger cities because but you didn't use any of it while you were over there no we didn't we didn't have to okay because wherever we needed to go a train would either take us straight there or we could bike around to wherever we wanted to go so she lived near a train station yeah so her town is not that big as compared to um other so (laughs) when i first met her she would tell me that she lives in the country which as compared to here, it's not the country at all. Because if you compare it to Owenton or Dry Ridge or anything like that, I would I would still not say that I live in the city if I lived in Owenton or Dry Ridge. I guess she sort of had a similar mindset, but to us, or to me, as an American, I was like, no, that's definitely a city. Because they have so many local stores... It's an independent community. They have everything right there. Like, you don't have to go to the next town to get something. You don't have to do this, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And from what I saw... So it's like being in New York and going to the bodega, except that... There's not 8 million people. There's not a million people. Yes. So it's sort of like that with so many little towns. And it's so much nicer because... You have this local culture and this this growth of a dialect that they speak, and and everybody supports and buys from each other. Exactly. So to me, nobody's driving to the next city to go to Walmart. Right. Right. To me, it was sort of the perfect execution of a of a community, I guess, because to me, you don't have to drive. 25, 30 minutes to, to get, you know, a gallon of milk or um, what would be another one? Oh, shoes. You can go shoe shopping in the, the city center where she lives as opposed to, you know, driving 30 minutes up to Florence to shoe carnival or even an hour up to a, an outlet in Monroe to get Reebok shoes that I like. Uh, I don't know. It was... It's just so different over there, and everything's sort of, I don't know, much more efficient when it comes to uh, travel or execution of, uh, of everyday life. So how many days were you there? Three and a half weeks. Okay. Um, so, I don't know, what is that? Well, three and a half weeks, that's, yeah. that's good. 24-ish days. And then uh, I, did, I did see the... I believe your mom uh, um, sent out the bat signal on uh, Facebook that said she was getting in the car to go get her boy. Oh yeah. So I, I did. I did know that she ran out and and did that. Yep. But uh, so uh, 
Oh, and we have a uh, we have a visitor to the podcast, <laughs> Pearl, Pearl the Wonderwom. Yep, I think she's probably looking for uh, crumbs. <laughs> so, um, so you got back, and what have you been doing since you've been back? Any interesting travel? Uh, not really. I've things? just been working a lot in uh, in Louisville, trying to learn um, just different experiences um, or different points of view in a restaurant because I've worked. In the restaurant business, I don't know, three, going on three years now. I mean, I sort of know how it works. I've only worked at two restaurants, but the way that I understand and from the people that I talk to, it's sort of similar just with the lingo and how things function um, with every restaurant. But the roles that you can play in said restaurant uh, can differ pretty greatly depending on, on what you're doing. So typically I bust tables and pretty much I don't have to interact with, with customers, which for me is nice because I sort of had my fill of that when I was serving at Cracker Barrel. Right. And I can do my thing and just make sure the servers have what they have and close out. I switched over to become a line cook and that pretty much rocked my world because one... I've never ran a grill in my life besides at home. Um, I had a crash course of 10 or 15 or so minutes of, hey, this is how you make this burger. Make sure it's this way before you flip it. This is, you know, this is how you know it's done. Um, to cook this chicken breast, you can da 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 da. And I'm learning so much in the short span of time. And. Excuse me. And so I'm pretty much thrown in the fire and have to figure this stuff out off the cuff. So I do it for about a week. And the kitchen manager, who had been gone for a while due to personal reasons, he gets back and he's like, oh, this guy's new. Because for the most part, the kitchen staff hasn't changed a whole lot. Like, really at all since I've been there. Uh started working there last late October, mid-November-ish. So, the kitchen staff has been pretty solid. Like, the same people have been back there for a long time. So, he gets back. He's like, oh, we have this new guy. Let's see what he's good at. So, he shows up. I have a week of experience under my belt. And he's looking over my shoulder the whole time to make sure how I do things is correct. And yada, yada, yada. And so, at this point, I'm so, I'm starting to find sort of a groove on how to do certain things. Like, for example, like the little paper trays that we put the, the fries and tater tots in. If you take that and sort of put it over a burger, it melts the cheese and everything much more quickly than what it would do if you take the burger put it on a spatula, and then put it in this, we call it the melt, but it's a, a big heat box that's just for melting cheese on burgers. And so it ta- the, the tray takes 10 to 15, 20-ish seconds as opposed to leaving it in the melt for 45 seconds to a minute. So when things are moving so fast and you're trying to smash these burgers and get everything flipped and put cheese on everything and make sure everything's the right way, 
seconds really do matter. So I'm accustomed to doing the tray thing and sort of going in a flow and reading the screen and trying to keep up the best that I can. And he comes over and he's like, you can't do that. And I'm like, what? He's like, you can't do that. I'm like, why? He's like, you just can't do that. Use the melt. I'm like, okay. So I still, it's so simple and subtle, but it just kind of like rocked my world in a way because I'm trying to figure things out based off of the 10 or 15 so minutes that I had of training. And he's like, do this, do that, da 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 da. I'm like, okay. So maybe he knows something that I don't. And I'm just, it's just been a big learning curve. And, and I would tell you that in many cases, and you, you work for a, a, a bigger restaurant chain, they, um, They've already looked through this, and so they know what processes sure. work and and don't work. So, sure. so and and uh, if you like to learn and you like to think on your own, many times a process oriented job can be frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. But I think now I'm going to go back to bus and tables because they need me there again. Since like half of the busters left because they were all college kids and the school's starting back up. You know, they're short-staffed. So I'm going to go back to doing that, but whenever they need help on the grill line anymore, I can also just hop back there and do whatever they need. Um, I really did enjoy it, like just being back there and understanding how fast that world moves. And really, you can be, for example, you cook a chicken breast and like there's a chicken breast order and there's also sub grilled chicken. So say somebody wants to replace something with, with grilled chicken, you cut up the grilled chicken and with the chicken breast, you just leave it. So you can spend 10, 15 minutes cooking this chicken breast and you read the screen wrong and you cut it up when it's supposed to be a whole chicken breast. So now you have to add an additional 10 or 15 minutes to cook another chicken breast because you cut up the last one when it didn't need to be cut up. Yeah. So just a simple little over the head mistake can cost you 10 or 15 minutes and somebody getting PO'd out in the dining room because, you know, they had to wait 10 or 15 extra minutes on their food. Well, because they already waited exactly 15 minutes. Exactly. So, so then dinner becomes, you know, 35 or 40 minutes. Yeah. 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 So it's, Definitely a learning we, uh, curve. We got a free meal at the chain you work for recently. Um, they gave us a 20-minute lead time for a pickup order. We arrived, and 45 minutes after we arrived, we still didn't have food. Oh, and, wow. Uh, and so uh, they... Uh, it, it seems like restaurants in general are struggling with finding enough help. Yeah, and... From what I see, the restaurant business is so come and go to where it's pretty difficult to build a foundational crew that can support you because there's a lot of of baggage, I guess, because it's very it it's typically, you know, your your lower income people and of they have stuff going on outside of work. They're trying to get the bills paid. 
there's a lot of single moms in the industry and you see that. And I think the biggest thing that I've learned such an appreciation to see all the hard work that a lot of them put in to try and support their families. So with that comes a lot of stress and a lot of pressure and it doesn't take much to make someone snap or to really send them over the edge. So with that, if you don't know how to manage a restaurant, you can you can easily just go down the drain and your restaurant can just be on the struggle bus for you know the duration that it is a restaurant. So one of the bigger issues with my employment there recently was that we were overstaffed. Not only overstaffed, but with um, a lot of younger people that had never worked in the restaurant industry before. So you have a lot of teaching going on from the veterans who are not making any more money because we are overstaffed. Right. So they're having to put in extra work to make sure these these newbies are doing their job while sort of getting shorted on the money that they make, the money that they get to put in their pocket at the end of the night. Yep. So, and I think that's common across a number of industries, but certainly in the service industry, sure, that's um, a longstanding problem. Is is that uh, you're really there to earn a wage, and when you have to help train the the new people without any um, additional stipend or incentive, then it it actually amps up the stress. Sure. So if you're if you're having stress at home with the kids, the spouse, a medical issue, then it just uh, makes everything worse. Sure. Um, on the restaurant topic, in Italy, they don't tip. Excuse me. The the servers, and they make a set wage. So when you go in to eat at a at a restaurant for a nice lunch or a nice dinner, you can expect to be there for, you know, 45 minutes to an hour because they put more time into the food and it's much more relaxed. Um, For example, like in America, restaurants are typically set up for servers to have sections and they're the only one running that section of tables. In Italy, Emma was explaining to me that they don't have sections. Like if a table needs helped, whoever is available just goes over and helps that table. And they just have this system of keep an eye on this table. If they need anything, go over, help them out. When their food is up, take it to the table. It's team oriented. It is. And and everybody's success is, is, um, Based on everybody helping one another, sure. Where where here it's it's really dog eat dog. Really, it is, and there are ways to where ideally everybody helps everybody out, but it never works because in the end, that person does have that individual section and that money to make, and. It just doesn't work. And, and most of the income here comes from tipping. So yeah. you want to focus on your tables. Exactly. So, you know, the whole tipping thing is, is interesting. So we're headed to uh, um, 
Ireland in a month or so. Oh, really? And uh, and so I wanted to to do the right thing, and and so it's it's also much like Italy is not really tip oriented. Yeah. There's a handful of places, but it's it's not tip oriented, and um, the dynamic here. Post COVID, I guess it probably it started in COVID, but um, places where you never tipped are now asking for tips or putting a tip opportunity in front of you, which I find interesting. There are drive-throughs now that if you use your credit card instead of you just getting a receipt, they give you a receipt to sign because there's a spot for a tip. Yeah, and. Uh, and so that's caused, um, I guess, some pain and suffering across as as restaurant prices have gone up, wages haven't gone up. So it, it yeah. on the surface, it looks like profit taking by uh, corporations, and uh, once again, the, the employees are left uh, with um, the suffering. Yeah, there, there's a place here in town that. Um, that won't allow you to tip on the uh, on if you pay with a credit card. So you can pay for your meal with a credit card, but you can't tip with a credit card because uh, they don't want to have to uh, give. If you left a two dollar tip, they don't want to have to pay the two percent, three percent transaction oh, okay. fee on that tip to the they, you know the employee is going to expect the two dollar tip. Sure. So, and then interesting since since you got us off topic on travel, and uh, we'll finish up. But uh, on tipping, so so I've been reading a lot lately. So so it it feels like um, at least what what you'd read is that we we are coming to some sort of tipping crisis related to um, service industry and. And the difficulty in finding people and and such. I'll give you an example. A buddy of mine, shout out to Jim Sawyer, who who runs Sawyer's uh, downtown Lexington. And um, except for being closed a small time in during COVID because he lost his lease with a uh, uh, greedy uh, landlord, he's back open in the city center building. And uh, we were talking the other day, and his. He pays uh, $25 an hour to work in his restaurant. Holy cow. And he can't find people to work. But he, he starts at $25 an hour. Dude. And um, and he he has difficulty uh, keeping staff. And he's a, he's a cool guy, so he's, like, sure. really easy to work for. Like, yeah. Like, I've observed him most of my adult life, and uh, he's he's been a restaurateur. And uh, so... Um, you take that, and and you take other places that aren't paying fair wages, and uh, and then what is going the long way around the barn is um, there. There's some data we talked about data analytics yep. uh, earlier before we got on the podcast, and uh, there's some data that uh, uh, identifies that uh, your generation are not tippers. That your generation uh, either uh, leaves no tip or leaves uh, uh, a good tip is a ten percent tip, and so um, and there there are some other generational things related to that, and that 
uh, boomers, my generation, still are the most generous tippers. However, my generation is dying off. So, so the, looking at that data, once again, as that data dies off, it drives the, the revenue structure down for people in the service industry that yeah. work in a tipping uh, industry. And, um, and then on top of that, you, you see um, everybody sees restaurant prices and other service industry prices rise when, when maybe they shouldn't rise. So when you look at, at uh, groceries went up for a while, but groceries are back down, and, and I hear people complaining about eggs. I can buy eggs all day long for uh, $1.50 a dozen at Kroger's now. They're not 3 and $4 a dozen. I don't, yeah. I don't know where you live, but I can go to three cities in Kentucky and get them for $1.50, $1.59 a dozen. Um, and most of the other things that had gone up have come back down and, and normalized, but restaurants haven't reduced their, their prices with that normalization. So, so that'll lead to le- record profits yet, um, that generally doesn't appear to be passed on to, uh, to service workers. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. It, I think it, it puts the whole thing in, uh, a tough, a tough situation. I know I've seen some restaurants that are, uh, their, their moving forward strategy is to, uh, open locations that have very limited seating or no seating and, and they just do a uh, takeout business. Wow. It's a sort of almost like a food truck, but you know, well, the building. Food, and I think that's what they're looking at is probably the success of food trucks, maximizing profits, minimizing expenses. Sure. And if they're having trouble finding help because they won't pay good wages, um, then they just cut that part out by they need less help. I mean, they don't they don't need servers. They don't need bussers. They don't need uh, other certain types of employees. And, mm. and they can specialize on, you know, line cooks and other people. And, sure. And, and I would hope pay them a little better. But yeah. you, you never know what a corporation is going to do. Yeah. I mean, they may move in the direction of uh, of your friend in Lexington and just attempt to maybe raise a wage and cut out the tipping. Because if you set a wage, 20 to $25 an hour, I will definitely take that over... You know the two whatever an hour plus tips because I, I also think you're gonna like that that Ital- Italian model. You're gonna give better service. Sure, sure. And if everybody's got that set wage and they're on an even playing field, then in, I'm sure it encourages the okay. Whoever can help can help, and yeah. there's more of a. a I don't team. need to go find your 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 waiter. Yeah, I, I can get you refills. Exactly. Yeah. Oh. Would you all like more tea? Exactly. And it just seems more practical because for a restaurant, I feel that gathering for a meal should be a fun experience for everyone involved. Um, But with the way that it's set up now, I feel that the customers are in their bubble and I, I I've seen it working in a restaurant 
the customers pretty much are in their bubble and expect what they expect. And whoever is on the floor is competing in a way. Sure. Maybe not with each other, but competing in a way that who can get their tables, their food and drink the fastest and how can I make the most money Mm -hmm. and be the nicest and yada, yada, yada. There's so many factors that go into serving. And and if you're a very efficient server, you get a table in and out so your table can be refilled. Right, right. So that's that's an, yeah, that's a really good point. In Italy, like with everything being so chill and go with the flow and team oriented, it's, I feel like you absorb even as a customer, you you absorb, and there's really not a lot of pressure to get up and leave that table because that server is waiting on more customers. Yep. And overall, I would say that you have time to converse and and enjoy without pissing off the server. And it's it's just a much more practical way to go about that thing. Yep, for sure. So as we're closing out here, any any travel plan during the the school year or uh, uh I've thought about going on like a little camping trip. I've never camped before. Um just to to Red River Gorge or somewhere in Daniel Boone National Forest. Um because I've been sort of craving that in a way just to camp and enjoy nature and just the the silence because I think from moving from a quiet countryside with rolling hills to uh, a flat, very hot, cement, blacktop jungle with a lot of activity and noise, I I yearn for that that silence again. Sure, I, I mean where you live versus where you go to school is is. Yeah. Uh, I mean it is uh, concrete everywhere. Yeah, and fortunately, Louisville's campus does have a lot of trees, and it's cool, and there's a lot of shade, and it's, in my opinion, quite pretty considering where it is in the city. And I I think past campus. So heading towards Churchill Downs on 4th Street, once you pass campus, the trees just sort of like disappear and it's just buildings. And I'm like, holy cow, it's so hot. There's really nowhere to stand. It, it's just all this heat, just boom, 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 everywhere. But anyways, back to what... uh the the traveling thing so yeah, camping. I wanna, yeah i do i do want to go uh go camping and uh back to italy next summer quite possibly yeah um i do have this vw bug that i really want to fix up so with uh with the money that i save up unfortunately air travel was much more expensive in america than what it is in europe cuz you can take a flight from italy to england for you know at most 40 or 50 dollars and I feel like to fly from JFK to Orlando, it would cost you, what, 
300 to $500. Sure. So, um, I, uh, I think if I can afford both, I can afford both, but we'll see. I would really like to, to, to save some money and, and pump it into the bug and get that, get that on the road. Good deal. Well, I appreciate you uh, joining, and, and we'll uh, we'll record another one again soon. Sure. And, uh, so, where can people find you? Uh, definitely Instagram. Uh, my ad is Colby dot Faulkner, um, and we'll put that in the show notes. Sure, sure. And I have tried to start maybe peeping at Twitter a little bit, or not Twitter X now, uh, a little bit more than what I I normally do. I don't even know my username on there. It's Colby Faulkner four, maybe. And, uh, that's about it. I would say that was probably, those are probably the, the easiest ways to not trying any of the new things like blue sky or no, uh, I haven't even heard of that. What blue sky, blue sky and threads. No, I, I've not looked into those at all. I'm, I'm embarrassed for you. That the old guy <laughs> knows more about, uh, uh, I, I, pop culture than you do. <laughs> it's so, I feel like there's so much going on all the time. And me personally, I just get overwhelmed. So I've silenced a lot of my notifications and news flow because there's just so much all the time. And I sort of fall out of touch with certain things and stay in touch with other things that don't really matter to a lot of people. But it is what it is. I'm sort of living... um my uh my my dude the dude uh jeff bridges sort of vibe like just sort of ride that wave that you know whatever's important goes on and you you know i'm an ordained dude right yeah 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 so. ordained dude so you get it i get it for sure <laughs> although uh i i do try to keep up cuz uh i'm uh 60 going on 12 so i i feel like i need to know the latest uh, yeah. pop culture uh we'll get you we'll get you set up so uh but but i would say and we'll close this out um cuz we're we're running close to an hour but um probably 10 or 15 years ago i did a series of presentations to national groups different different kind of groups um and and the presentation was about uh, how much data was available today versus 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 sure. years ago. And and back when I did that presentation, every day there, there was a really high percentage of new data that that existed that didn't exist the day before. Yeah. And and that trend has has just uh, is exponentially grown. And yeah, so the the amount of information that's available to a human being today um, is um, so much incredibly more than it was just 20 years ago. Sure. Um, generationally different than it was 50 years ago and yep. 100 years ago. And um, I know I talked to you about data analytics. I, I really think that that's, um, that's a field across all um, different things, whether it's healthcare or finance or politics or everything in between, um, 
that is gonna gonna grow and grow, and uh, people use data for good and they use data for bad. So I sure. think we're gonna and 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 really AI is based on large language models and and so those are large data sets of information so it'll it'll be interesting as we roll forward for sure thanks again man absolutely um, we'll uh, we'll do this again soon yeah. and uh, and I don't know I heard a rumor that maybe you wanted to do your own podcast sometime are you still thinking about that <laughs> quite possibly all right yeah. good deal I, I look forward to uh, listening righty. thanks again man yep